Well, good morning. I'm glad that you're here with us today. We're going to read this morning from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 32. We're actually going to read about one of the people who had a hard time with the account of Jesus being raised from the dead. And so some of you who may have wrestled with all that, you might find a kinship with this character we know as Thomas. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, your sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's stop and talk to God for a moment as we pray. Father God, we've gathered here today on this Easter Sunday morning to remember how Jesus not only died but rose from the grave on the third day. Thank you for all that his resurrection communicates to us, that you have power over life and death, that you have power over the sins and fears and foibles that hold us back, that you are able to bring hope in the most impossible situations, that you love your people, and that Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to die in order to pay the penalty for our sins and to allow us to have a clean and fresh start with you and to have the hope that we can have a close and intimate and powerful relationship with you. God, I thank you that you are a God who redeems all situations even when you don't rescue us from them. We don't know how you're going to do it, but we pray that you would redeem this evil that we see playing out in Ukraine in this time of the year, and we ask that we would see your hand at work in the way that your people respond, in the way that you somehow turn around this awful mess. Thank you for everybody here in the room, for those who are brand new to church, those who've been away for a long time, those who are visiting with family and who have gathered with us today. Thank you that you are a faithful God and you know so much. You know the, the fears and the desires on each of our hearts and you know how to communicate to us in just the right way. You speak the language of autism. And so we're grateful that 
we can welcome all of those who are present in this room today and who are processing all this information in the ways that you've equipped us to, to do so. I pray for those who might be even frightened here today, thinking that uh, this is a place where they don't belong or this is a place where there are expectations they can't live up to. And I pray that you will ease those fears, that you will answer doubts, and that you will lead people closer and closer toward faith and trusting you. Now, Lord, give us understanding of the scriptures that we're diving into. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a question for you. Have you ever wrestled through a season of doubt in your own personal life? You don't have to raise hands. You don't have to identify yourself. But I wonder, on my own, how many people in the room this morning might identify with that thought. I've mentioned this before, but I went through a period of doubt when I was in high school. I believed, but I still measure of doubt that didn't go away easily. I needed to figure out if this was my faith or my parents' faith. Was I simply a Christian because I was born into a family of deep faith, or was I a Christian because I was convinced of the truth of Jesus and especially of the resurrection? I'm still grateful to the 12th grade uh, English teacher that I had that particular year, and I don't know why he let me do it, but he let me do my senior term paper on the topic of whether Jesus is really the, the God of the Bible or whether he's somebody else. He didn't want to do it, but I told him that what I was wrestling with and what I was trying to figure out for myself, and he said, okay, I'll bend my rule and I'll let you do that. Imagine that in a public high school. I'm not sure that would happen today. If you wrestle with doubt now, or if you have at some point in the past, I have to tell you something, you're in good company here in this room today. The Bible actually includes stories of several people who wrestled with doubt at one point or another in their lives. Think of the story of Joseph, the husband of Mary, when she comes back saying that the angel had met with her and had told her she was going to have a son and this son would be the, the son of God. Or Nicodemus, the Pharisee who interviewed Jesus at night, not wanting anyone to know what kind of questions he was asking. Or the desperate father who pleaded with Jesus to heal his son and says to, the, to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. See, we wrestle at that point where we believe and yet we struggle and the doubts creep in. And then there's the, the most famous doubter of all time known as Thomas. Thomas was a disciple of Jesus, one of the original 12, who refused to believe in the resurrection when the other disciples had encountered the risen Jesus, but he had not. He actually said that unless he could see the nail prints, the wounds in Jesus' hand and feet, and put his hand into Jesus' side where the spear had pierced him, he would not believe that Jesus had risen from the tomb. Now here's the point. On Friday night, we focused on what we learned from contemplating the cross and from the conversations that happened on the cross. Today, on Easter Sunday, we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus through the experience of Thomas, the one-time doubter who journeyed to faith in the, in the risen Jesus. If you will, the last of the original disciples to really believe what we are celebrating this morning. This Easter Sunday message is part of a series where we are looking at things that can only be explained by the intervention of God. And so we're calling this series Only God. And we're looking for another Only God moment here today. And so our Easter Sunday resurrection theme is Only God Could Raise Him. 
Welcome to Easter Sunday at North River. One thing I can say for myself and I think for our whole staff is that I love you and I love being part of this church. I love when we get together and we sing from the heart and when we get real and we talk about our faith and our process to faith. And I'm glad that each of you are here today as well. Your presence here today and the energy that you bring is so encouraging. And welcome to all of you who are watching online. We're glad that you're a part of this celebration as well. I love the way that streaming and replaying our services through the week allows more and more people to connect with North River's ministry who otherwise might not be able to worship or to learn with us. One thing I know about this congregation, we're all learners here, so let's celebrate and see what we can learn on this Easter day from Thomas the Doubter. That's my central question this morning. What can we learn from Thomas' pathway from doubt to decision? We're going to talk about Thomas's conviction and how he got to that point where Thomas believed that only God could raise Jesus, and we're going to look at that pathway from doubt to decision. Here's the first principle that we can focus on. Doubt didn't disqualify Thomas. Verse 24, John chapter 20, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. John's gospel tells us more about Thomas than all of the other gospels. In the first two gospels, Matthew and Mark, Thomas's name is mentioned once. Luke mentions Thomas once in his gospel, and then Luke is also the author of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. He mentions him once there. But John mentions Thomas eight times. I wonder why. Makes me wonder, was John simply closer to Thomas? Or was John being more perceptive? Did he know something about the role that doubt played in Thomas's faith development? Although the word doubt doesn't appear here in John's writing, we can see and hear and maybe even feel the struggle that Thomas went through when the news of Jesus' resurrection exploded on the scene. Think of the way this all unfolded. Mary Magdalene had been the first to discover the empty tomb and the stone rolled away from the opening to the tomb very early in the morning. And she was the first to see and hear the risen Jesus. John and Peter, two of the more prominent disciples, rushed to the tomb when they heard the news from Mary, and they both believed after viewing the circumstantial evidence of the empty tomb and Jesus' grave clothes laid there as if he just evaporated from them. Later that day, Jesus appeared to the disciples, but John tells us that Thomas wasn't in the room when that happened. Think of this scenario. Just picture what's going on here. The disciples had gathered in a locked room. They had locked themselves in due to the fear of the religious leaders who had opposed Jesus and who had wanted to kill him and get rid of him before Passover had started. Feel the tension of this moment. They had been complicit with the Romans in securing the death of Jesus. And now rumors were flying throughout Jerusalem that the disciples, who had mostly run away on Friday night, had now overpowered the guards and stolen the body of Jesus. Then came Jesus. He just appears in the room, despite the locked doors. Thomas' inability to instantly believe their report stems from this sequence. 
His doubt is completely understandable given the fact that he wasn't in the room when Jesus appeared. The shock of Jesus' death on the cross was still impacting him. And he didn't have the opportunity to see and hear Jesus in the same way that the others did. That's why he makes that statement that unless he could see and touch Jesus himself, there was no way that he was going to believe this message. Let's notice something that goes a bit underreported here. A week later, Thomas was in the room, still with the the rest of the original disciples. The resurrection is now a week old, but Thomas had not yet resolved his doubt. Then came Jesus, appearing in this locked room again, not coming through the doors, but just showing up in their midst. And rather than chewing Thomas out, he spoke directly and tenderly to Thomas. He even gets very vulnerable, and he accedes to Thomas's need for tangible facts. He says, here, Thomas, you can check out my side, and you can put your finger in the wound if you want to. Thomas had not yet been rejected by this group of disciples or by Jesus because of his doubt. Can you get your mind around that? We're a week into this, and Thomas is still filled with doubts, and the other disciples receive him and welcome him into their presence, and and Jesus doesn't look down on him. Instead, Jesus is tender with him. He has not given up on Thomas because of his doubt. It raises a question in my mind. Have we misunderstood doubt? In verse 27, Jesus says to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And then he says, stop doubting and believe. Theologian and apologist Gary Habermas breaks down several myths about doubt. Myth number one is that Christian doubt is uncommon. Doubt comes at multiple levels, and most of us wrestle with it from time to time, or at least in some season of our lives. Theologian Oz Guinness says, It is not primarily a Christian problem, but a human problem. The root of doubt is not in our faith, but in our humanness. In other words, we think through the limitations of who we are. Myth number two, according to Habermas, is that true believers never experience doubt. Doubt is a lack of certainty about some point or issue or truth. The opposite of faith is not doubt. Rather, the opposite of faith would be unbelief, which is a more settled thing. I find it fascinating that some of the Psalms in the Old Testament seem to portray the writer expressing doubt in God's actions and then resolving to trust the Lord in the midst of dark times. When you're wrestling with doubt, I I challenge you to get a Bible and open to the middle. You'll find the Psalms there and read through some of the Psalms. And a lot of times the Psalm writers are completely vulnerable saying, here are my fears, here are my emotions, here's where I doubt you, God, but then working up toward that resolution to dare to trust God again. Myth number three is that Christian doubt is always bad. Often, if we're honest, On the other side of doubt, we find stronger faith. That seems to be the case here with Thomas. After seeing the risen Jesus for himself, he serves faithfully and sacrificially all the way until his death. So rather than doubt being a bad thing, I think that Thomas's doubt actually helps us. 
in a number of ways. For instance, his doubt reminds us of how amazing the resurrection was. It was not a simple matter. It, things like this didn't happen every day. It went against everything that they would have realistically expected. His doubt helps us to realize that the disciples weren't all just somehow programmed to believe. Thomas had expected Jesus to die, and he didn't fully understand that Jesus would rise. None of the disciples were thinking that way before his death. In John's Gospel, chapter 11, Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus has died, and he begins to head toward Jerusalem two days later. Knowing that the religious leaders were plotting against Jesus, Thomas says, let us go also that we may die with him. Do you hear what he's saying? This guy isn't somebody who lacks courage. But all Thomas could see at that point was a bad ending because he saw the plot that was rising up against Jesus. But knowing how Jesus was tortured and how he died, he found reports of the risen Jesus hard to process, hard to take in, hard to believe. His doubt illustrates our need to understand God's power over life and death. And his doubt offers hope for those who struggle to believe in the resurrection. I like the fact that Thomas didn't believe just because all of the others did. He wanted as much access to the evidence as was possible. If Jesus was walking around alive, he wanted to see the nail prints and his wounds first, and faith would come later. Here's what we discover. The resurrection leads to only God moments. That was true for Thomas, and that's true for us today as well. Look at the way that John unpacks this a little bit later in this same passage. It says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. In other words, they're in the same place where they were meeting a week earlier when Jesus showed up. This time, Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. When I read that whole paragraph, I don't think Jesus is shouting at Thomas saying, stop doubting and believe. He's speaking tenderly in a way that flows from the offer that he's just made, which comes out of vulnerability. What changed Thomas's perspective from doubt to decision? Well, there are a handful of factors that John reveals here. Here's the number one factor. Jesus showed up. Thomas became an eyewitness of the risen Jesus. He saw him and heard him for himself. He saw the wounds. He saw the marks from the nails. The evidence of the cross. There might have still been splinters in him for all I know. And from the spear that had pierced his side and had nicked that sack around the heart where the blood and water started flowing out together. Seeing this evidence, Thomas came to his only God moment. He says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. In other words, he's saying only God can explain this. Only God could bring him back after what we saw, after how he died, after being in the tomb into the third day. The evidence of seeing Jesus alive convinced Thomas, and he believed, this time instantly. I think Thomas wanted to believe before. 
I've actually met many doubters who want to believe if only there was enough evidence. His response tells us about Easter's impact on Thomas's faith. He was acknowledging that only God could restore life to Jesus after such a death. He was surrendering to Jesus as the Lord of life. He was admitting that this resurrection was the proof that he needed that Jesus really is divine. That is, that he shares the essence of who God is. And he was declaring that his settled conclusion is that Jesus is both Lord and God. Now, while Jesus' appearance to Thomas was unique at that time and isn't reproduced for all of us in just the same way, Jesus still shows up. I think of the friend of mine who wrestled with his doubts and intellectual hurdles in a Bible study group that I was in. He wrestled for four years, and we would sometimes stand outside the house where we were meeting for an hour afterward, just talking and processing more and more information. Then he began to see how God was using him as part of uh, the building team that built this building when we acquired this land and began to build on it. And I remember the particular day as he contemplated how God had used him when he dropped him in here right in the middle of this little church. He realized that God had revealed himself to him. And he called me that day and he said, why am I continuing to wrestle with all of my intellectual doubts when God has showed up in my life? And that was the turning point for a huge change in his life. Or the woman who recently told me how she had asked God to reveal himself to her as she was contemplating the need to decide whether to put her faith in Jesus after having lived as an atheist for more than 30 years. She sensed the Lord sending her the answer that he'd already given her the faith to believe when she was on that threshold of just taking that step into faith. And she took it that day. I don't know if you read the same accounts that I read, but throughout the Muslim world, as people are seeing the desperation and corruption from Islamic leaders, there are dozens and dozens of reports of Jesus showing up in the dreams of Muslim people, urging them to get a Bible and to read about him. And it's leading people to faith in Jesus. There is the largest number of Islamic people coming to faith in Christ today that we've ever seen in the history of the world. We sang a moment ago, you buried my past so my future could start. When I heard those words in this song, first time I've ever heard it was this week. I was thinking about all these stories, and that's what God does. He, he buries our past, all the stuff that holds us back, all the stuff that causes shame in us so that we can start a whole new life. When you put your faith in Jesus, there's a whole new trajectory that starts. Here's the idea that I'm trying to get across this morning. It's actually quite simple. When Jesus shows up, evidence turns doubt into faith. When Jesus shows up in your life, and there are a variety of ways that he can do that, he takes the evidence that's there that you might have even overlooked before or scoffed at before, and that evidence turns doubt into faith. Here's the last observation for this morning. Thomas's pathway also leads to a blessing. His pathway to faith leads to a blessing. In verse 28 and 29, Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Here's the blessing. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me. He was thinking of us all the way back then. 
Jesus knew that his time on the earth would end and 40 days later he ascended to the heavens and said, I'm coming back and we're waiting for him to come back. But everybody who's come to faith since that time does so without the benefit of having the ability to see exactly what Thomas saw in the room that night. Thomas's journey through doubt to faith prompted Jesus' response. And so when he makes that declaration, my Lord and my God, Jesus focused on the impact of Thomas' declaration, Thomas's journey and declaration. Because you have seen me, you have believed. But Thomas, think about this. Blessed are all those people who have not seen and yet have believed. That raises a question in my mind. Why did so many people over the next 50 or 100 years come to believe where this small, marginalized group of Christians who are seen as, an, as, a, as a minority group, as, as a group to be laughed at and forgotten, how did that come to overtake the world? First reason. They heard the eyewitness stories from the first Christians, and they marveled at what these people told them and held on to, even to, the, to their last days. Second reason They saw the confidence and the conviction of Thomas and the disciples that they were changed from that point on in their lives. Third reason, the news of the resurrection gave them hope that Jesus can carry us through every difficulty that life throws our way. Aren't we seeing that play out again today? There are horrors going on right now in Ukraine where cities are being obliterated. But one of the things that is happening that's a marvelous thing to watch is that the churches in Ukraine and in Poland and the countries all around are opening their doors and the churches are being refitted to become shelters and food centers for people. And there are actually people going back into Ukraine who left a few weeks ago who are coming back to serve in the church. And there are people from other countries who are coming to Poland and some of the the countries just on the edge of where the war is happening so that the church can respond in greater and greater numbers. I hope that when the first Ukrainians come here to the United States that we are not among those who all of a sudden are afraid of immigrants and saying there's no room for these people. We need to act like the church in that moment and open the doors and open our arms and open our wallets to help people who are in the the worst of throes of what's going on in the world today. And when that happens, it happens because people respond with the hope that God brings that there is a Lord who transcends all of this and who transforms us into people who become his agents for his message spreading in the midst of a horribly broken world. I love the words of Philip Yancey that he spoke a couple of weeks ago. He said, Jesus doesn't always rescue us from our problems, but he redeems our problems. And sometimes it's more important for him to redeem the problem and to make use of it than it is for us simply to be rescued from them. He turns things around in his own way. Let's change gears for a minute. How has Thomas been perceived through the ages? I'd like to throw you, show you three pictures. The first one, I hope this is coming up now. Uh, here it is. This is more of a contemporary piece where Thomas is saying, unless I see his hands. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine the horror on the other disciples' faces saying, what are you doing, Thomas? But Jesus just extends his hands. 
Go back a few hundred years. This is Caravaggio in 1600 where he's inviting Jesus to touch his side and so, uh, providing Thomas to touch his side. So Thomas is actually putting his finger right there in the wound. One more. This is another contemporary one where Jesus appears to Thomas. Can you see the look in his eyes? He goes bug-eyed for the moment. He says, I can't believe you're here. This is amazing. And sometimes that's what we are like when we come to that point of saying, wow, Jesus can be trusted. Jesus is alive. I am seeing Jesus through his spirit living within his people today and changing them and transforming them. If you're at that precipice, I'd challenge you to do this. Lean into the blessing. We are blessed when we act on the evidence we have and when we believe. And it's Jesus' words that tell us about this. If you've been stuck on doubt about Jesus for a while, does Thomas' pathway through doubt help move you forward closer to the goal? If so, right where you are, maybe it's time for you to whisper this simple prayer to God with me. You don't have to say it out loud, but just whisper it where you are. Lord, send your resurrection power into my life. Break apart the doubts that have held me back. I surrender them to you and put my faith in Jesus, the Son of God, risen from the dead, who will come again. Help me to join Thomas in following Jesus. Here's what I'm convinced of this morning, that no matter where you start, no matter what background you come from, whether there's no Christian background, it doesn't matter, but when Jesus shows up in your life, he takes the evidence that you have and he turns doubt into faith and he welcomes you. He doesn't criticize you for the pathway or how long it took or how much you wrestled with doubt along the way, but he keeps calling us forward to trust him. Here's the conviction of the early church. This is from the Nicene Creed. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death then was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. And words like these have been the conviction of Christians for 2,000 years. I wonder if you'd close your eyes for a minute. And we're just going to pray. I'd like to ask you an honest question. Do you feel Jesus nudging you closer and closer toward trusting him? What would it be like if you just stepped over that line and said, I'll act on the information I have and I'll trust you from where I am. Lead me the rest of the way, Lord. Fill my heart with faith in the right time and show up in my life Show me once again that you are real and that you can even change a heart like mine. God, here are those of us who are longtime veteran Christians, some of whom have grown cold. And Easter revives us. It's, it's the songs. It's, it's remembering what you've done. It's the cross. It's hearing the stories again of those who, the first eyewitnesses, that you are alive. So make me alive again. 
Make me alive from the inside out. Cause my faith to grow. Put me in the pathway of other people who can teach me more. Allow me to stand on a sure foundation and approach, to approach the rest of my life with the confidence that you are with me, that you will never forsake me, and that you will guide me through all times. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus and thank you for raising him from the dead. We are so excited that this is the hope that we celebrate. This is the hope that we live by, that even though we experience hard things and even death in life, that we follow our conqueror who redeems even the most broken parts of our lives and turns them into instruments for grace and glory. And so we trust you. And we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you for being here with us today and celebrating. We're going to sing one more song before we walk out of here. And if you're new and you're just trying things out and kicking the tires, I hope you'll come back. We'd love to have you become a part of this learning congregation as we continue to try and grow deeper in our understanding of Jesus and God and the Bible. Blessings.